Welcome to Inside Parliament. It's a weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering here at One News, and we're uh, coming to you from the legendary Beehive Studio at Parliament. And uh, I'm Benedict Collins, and happy International Women's Day. Oh, that's Thank nice you, of you to say Benedict. that. That's very nice. I'm Mikey Sherman, and I'm Jessica Much Mackay. Excellent. Hey, so. Pits and peaks. Would shall we kick off, Mikey? What's been the highlight of your week? The highlight of my week is that yesterday it was my birthday. <laughs> so you know it's birthday week. Very exciting. I had a very beautiful cake uh, last it night was with a very my whanau. Yes, cake. very impressive little pink thing with heaps of like little roses and hearts, and it was also very cute. Um, so that was awesome. The other highlight though is that um, all week I have been working on a mammoth assignment that I've got due for. Um, a bit of study that I'm doing uh, this year and um, the latter half of last year which is called Te Panikiretanga o Te Reo Māori which is basically the School of Excellence in Māori Language um, and we have a 6,000 word uh, language strategy that we have to um, uh, submit uh, by the end of this weekend and at the start of this week I had not started said essay because you know very busy uh, so Mikey so has not been getting a whole lot of sleep Mikey this week, has not been getting thing. a whole lot of sleep and uh, Mikey has has not been doing a whole lot of stories this week which we'll sort of see in this podcast so thank you to my uh, two very good mates here for uh, helping me uh, dodge a bit of uh, the old stories this week so that I could get that 6,000 word essay done. Thank you so much guys and that is my peak because this weekend it will be over, it will be done, fail, pass, whatever, I will have submitted it. Cool. That will be that will be a good. We'll day. all be happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Jess Roden's bringing in birthday cake. Jess Roden, who is our political producer, she's bringing in birthday cake for me on Monday, so we'll be celebrating. For those of you who don't know, we have a little um, roster that we bake cakes for each other. Um, and if you're interested in seeing um, them over the last few months, who bakes for who, um, just keep an eye on our Instagram page because we always post up there. Um, my high this week. Um, was some of the political theatre that we've been seeing. Um, I reckon after a break of recess, the politicians come back firing and quite angsty with each other, and it's been quite fun going into question time this week and just watching a little bit of the drama. I particularly enjoy the um, personal mocking that they do of each other, um, and I... And I've had quite a lot of um, laughs this week watching them in the debating chamber. Childish, yes, but sometimes we all need a little bit of light relief. Mm. And I guess um, my highlight of the week was a story I did last um, end of last week on Friday, turned into a sort of political hot potato. So we got a um, sort of an internal memo sent out by the chief executive of TVNZ saying, hey, TVNZ is following a number of companies in abandoning um, advertising on YouTube. They said they just didn't feel it was a safe environment. So I sort of started looking into it and that followed Spark and I believe Les Mills as well had pulled out and it was sort of an international movement, started looking into it. And it was because uh, basically pedophiles were going onto YouTube and leaving, sexualising a lot of um, uh, videos of, of innocent children, right? Leaving disgusting comments all through their um, comment section and companies had just had enough and there was a Called vloggers, um, a blogger on YouTube who had sort of exposed just how sick this scene was, and people were just fleeing. Um, so anyway, uh, and a, another journalist in the um, uh, press gallery, uh, Bernard Hickey from Newsroom, had sent out a tweet saying, "Well, the New Zealand government spends more money advertising he reckons on um, on on Facebook and YouTube than it does giving money to Radio New Zealand, right, the public broadcaster." And I thought, "Oh, that's interesting." So I jumped on YouTube and I like the second ad I had was an ad from IRD, and I thought, "Oh, the." New Zealand government is still advertising. Is this appropriate for public money to be spent on this platform? You know that uh, 
companies all around the world are running away from in horror. Mm. Um, and anyway, so I called IRD and uh, a pretty unusual media request came in. Um, and throughout the day, it was quite amazing to see what happened th- with the government. So we went, um, IRD a couple of hours later came back to me and said, we are the uh, latest organisation to stop advertising on um, YouTube and, and we're not going to do it again until they convince us that you know they've sorted out this problem um, with the sexualisation of children um, we went to the digital minister Chris Farfoy who quickly threw it I believe to the Prime Minister's office saying oh hey blah blah that, um, you know this is the spread spread really widely across the government we're trying to figure out who's best to respond I think the Prime Minister's office pretty quickly took a look at it and said ooh and threw it to the State Services Commission um, who, who fronted the end of the day and said he's told all chief executives in the public service to suspend advertising with YouTube. So it was Good. kind of amazing to watch yeah. that story and kind develop. Of the power of questions in the media. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, yeah. And to see them all go, oh God, you know, we, mm. we don't want to be pumping public money mm. onto this, onto YouTube. Mm. YouTube, in response, in the last since this um, vlogger um, put out that story, I think they've disabled. Um, comments on tens of millions of videos on mm. YouTube to stop this happening, but you've got to question why it took you know exactly. all their advertisers to start running away from them for them to actually you know act because people have been raising concerns about this for a number of years. And um, pits of the week, I might kick mm. off first, guys. Hey, so this is kind of funny as well. Um, so uh, this is what government departments do. Often you go, you go along to them and you say, hey, can I, can I have an interview on a matter? Um, uh, this week I went along to the Ministry of Education and said, and we're going to have a look at this track later on, but I said, hey, anyone available for an interview on the student uh, climate strike that is planned for next week? You know, just interested to see what you guys make of it, what your position is. Now, this is what government departments do. They'll say, oh, we'll look into this. And then like four hours later, they'll send you like an 800-word statement that you didn't ask for. You just wanted someone on camera. Um, but this is, this is quite... This is quite great. So asked for an interview, um, huge, great big response. And uh, I'll read you just a sentence of this. One imagines that the schools themselves and their school communities will have already considered their position. Hence, it feels better that the decision makers are the ones to provide insight and narrative. And, I, mean, I liked your voice on that too. That was good. That was very TV voice. And that was one sentence of this enormous um, response that I got. It does make you wonder if they're sitting around smoking magic mushrooms or something at the Ministry of Education. I don't Brutal. know, but it's very, very Brutal. creative. Hence um, the language and, also. And, yes, and because it, one might think that maybe. One was smoking some magic mushrooms yeah. at the ministry. Yeah. Anyway, uh, on to you guys. <laughs> okay. Uh, that was brilliant. I love that. Uh, my pit this week is the banning of Michael Jackson music uh, by some uh, radio stations across New Zealand. I just, it, 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 Benedict actually sort of said to me when we were sitting at our desk and he was like, oh, hey, look. Um, a couple of radio stations have banned Michael Jackson's music off the back of a documentary that's supposed to be coming out soon. And I just thought, what the holy haka haka is that all about? Because are we now going trial by documentary? I mean, I just think that that is so bizarre um, that we've gone to such lengths uh, that we're banning the music of an icon based on the back of a documentary that hasn't even actually played here in New Zealand yet. I mean, it's opening this weekend on uh, some demand service or whatever. Ours. On TVNZ Mm -hmm. On Demand? Oh, great. Um, uh, But yeah, I just think that, you know, I just think... 
gosh, is that what we're coming to? That's really dangerous territory. Uh, I'd hate for us to sort of move into that sort of area. I mean, you could debate it either way. I know that the issue that's being debated is, you know, a very sensitive one. And, you know, if it's true, hugely inappropriate. But that's just the point. We don't know that it's true. It hasn't been through any sort of trial process. The guy's dead. He's not able to defend himself. Uh, I just think it's hugely bizarre that we're pulling his music. And the worst part was that in the media release by some of these radio stations, they were like, oh, and you know what? People don't actually like listening to his music that much these days anyway. And I was just like, oh, ho, ho, ho. That's got That's, what got <laughs> that's where you've gone wrong there, buddy. Because <laughs> if I could just get one more replay of, of human nature. <laughs> Benedict, hit me with your thoughts because you're, you're like, yeah, yeah, not, I don't know. I think sure when a grown man continually sleeps in the same bed as multiple children, I think there's enough smoke there. I think that they need to take that to court. I just feel well, like I think they did, and gonna... I think he kept paying them off, didn't he? Well, you take the money, keep your mouth quiet. And shall we just see what the documentary has to say? I think it's yeah. Sunday, Monday night. Exactly, is it? but yeah. is it okay. premature? I don't know. People, yeah. let what? us know what you think. This this may this issue may not be over yet. Um, Milo, this week, um, we're talking about International Women's Day before. Great that we're celebrating it and marking it. I think, obviously, it's very important. But it also, I think, reminds you of there's so much work to do, not just here in New Zealand with um, women on boards, with the pay gap, etc., etc., but internationally as well, just the treatment of women and how they're viewed. And I think, yeah, it's great that we're celebrating and marking it, but I just it does kind of remind you how far we've got to go. So mixed emotions on a day like today. Mm. And on that note, shall we get on to our stories? Yeah, shall we rip into the first one? Let's yeah. have a look at Jess's uh, story on the captured New Zealand ISIS fighter. I am the New Zealander known as Mark John Taylor. The jihadist with a Kiwi upbringing. When he was about two, he had a major fit with teething and that created a bit of brain damage. So all through his life, you know, he went through schooling, uh, special schools and stuff like that. But he was brought up as a normal child. The relative didn't want to be identified for fear of backlash and travel restrictions, but says he learnt Mark Taylor was in a Kurdish jail from the six o'clock news. What went through my head was, the first thing was, oh, he's alive, because we actually thought he was dead. Taylor has been in Syria for five years without much contact with family. You'd say to him, how are you? And what you said on the news last night was one of the dumbest things you could have ever said about um, the slavery and, you know, the woman and that. He's talking about these comments. You would like to have had a slave? Yes. Like, to buy a slave, you're looking at a minimum $4,000 American just to buy an older woman. Taylor was reissued a New Zealand passport in 2011, which meant he could travel to Syria. He then burnt it. He did not depart from New Zealand for Syria. He departed out of Indonesia to Syria. The Australian journalist who interviewed Mark Taylor says he claimed to have spoken with New Zealand representatives while in jail. Look, he, he has um, posted things on Facebook. He's made phone calls uh, to people. So. Um, in relation to New Zealand authorities and what you know, government agencies and departments might do, uh, as I'm advised, there's been no contact. Debate now raging about whether he should be brought home. Well, we don't want him back. I mean, it's not uh, our responsibility to bail out a terrorist. Well, he forfeited the right, in my view, that he had when he uh, joined a terrorist organisation. He ultimately is our problem here as a New Zealand citizen. If Taylor makes it back to New Zealand, he'll have to face our terrorism law. 
It states if you engage in terrorist activity, you face between 14 years and life imprisonment. His nickname, the bumbling jihadi, came when he accidentally revealed his location on Twitter. Yeah, look, that's not real smart. Even though he may be slow, he has potential intelligence value. For now, though, he's stuck in limbo in this Kurdish jail. So this has been a fascinating story that I've done three stories on this week, and it basically started when the Australian journalist went and interviewed him. And I think, um, first of all, it's a fascinating story on him and his attitudes. What One of the things I found... Um, unfathomable was the way that he was talking about um, women in slavery and buying and how his biggest regret out of all of this um, was not being able to afford a slave. And just from a um, human to human, where's your head at at level, um, I found that really interesting. All the layers around that obviously become very political. Now, whether we allow him to come home. And the fact is that if he turns up on the doorstep, we'll have to let him in. But the power that the New Zealand government has is not helping him very much in doing that. Mm. And I think um, we got a very strong sense from the Prime Minister, particularly yesterday when I climbed into the story again, that there's not a lot of political appetite to welcome this guy home. He'll be heading straight into our justice system and probably to jail um, where he's unlikely to be coming out for several decades. Yeah, but do you think New Zealand has a responsibility to bring him home? I mean, uh, he's our citizen. Is it right right for us to leave him up there and make him some other country's problem? Or do we have a responsibility to bring him him back? Is it this what I'm not, you know? I mean, if they kick him out, I don't think we should go out of our way to sort of bring him back. But if they want to kick him out... We'll just have to open the door and then just slide them on through into the prison. But you do lose a lot of your um, rights when you go and fight for a terrorist. He is on the terror watch list. Mm. So let's keep that in perspective. So what rights do you lose when you sign up to do that? And that's the situation that we're in. Like, I think if it was an... He said in a new interview that he did yesterday, I had an expectation the the New Zealand government would come in and get me. Yeah, if you were a normal citizen and and (laughs) trouble, sure. But you went and joined a a terrorist organisation and absolutely he has the human right, he has the, the basic fundamental human right to remain as a citizen, but we do not have to help him by putting other New Zealanders at risk to send him in to give him an emergency document. When I first saw this story, I thought, oh, who, who gives a toss about this guy? Honestly, you made your bed, lie in it, stay there. I couldn't give to, you know, bananas, mate, honestly. And then I, you know, realised that actually this guy did suffer some sort of brain injury as a child. And we heard from, you know, a member of his family talk about that and the fact that he did go through, you know, sort of special needs schools and that sort of thing. So I think the mental health sort of side of things has to play a part in this also. That kind of softened my um, outlook on his situation Uh, and I think that, you know, when you've got family back here who, you know, obviously worried about him, they didn't even know if he was alive. I think for their sake, I think given the mental health issues that we do sort of need to take a a slightly different approach um, to his situation. I get what you're saying, but I also think... I agree with Benedict that we don't want it to be a cost on another society. I mean, hekama, we've got heaps of people in our prisons already that, you know, don't deserve to for us to be paying that sort of a bill for them. But so what's one more? I don't know. I just think get him back here, get him some help, but also hold him to account. It's, and it's funny, like 
for us it's been a big issue this week but you look at other countries like the uk and france and stuff and they're, they're dealing with hundreds upon hundreds of fighters that have been you know caught similar to this guy and you know, i think donald trump recently called on you know these countries to take all their fighters back and, and you know and um hold them to justice but then you think you're bringing back all these trained fighters radicalized guys and girls women as, as well right and and you wonder how many more attacks are these guys going to carry out once you're out of prison you know like the, your paris attacks or your bombings and stuff like that yeah you're, and you're, you're bringing back these people people who are inclined towards that sort of behavior right and i think having lived in the uk for a couple of years there is that low undercurrent when you're there about catching the tube about jumping on a double decker bus because of that threat of um attack and and all of that playing out and i just think you that fear people who not not in new zealand let's be honest but that fear of people um have to live with all the time i just feel like you lose some of your rights when you take that part away from people and I just think we're naive to think it's it's you know obviously time's running out the territory's shrinking he's like oh actually I think I want to come home now and then what's to stop um someone him or someone else going to a jail we talked about this earlier in the week um radicalizing others in the jail and then we have to then monitor them for the rest of our lives and I mean that's let's be honest if if he ends up coming back here that's what's going to happen and and you know, we're, we're going to have to deal with that. But I just think that there are consequences to actions mm. and we shouldn't be rolling out a red carpet to help him get to Turkey to get his travel documents. Tricky, tricky situation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I just wonder how far you wind back the clock as well, whether you look back to, you know, what gave the foundations for the formation of ISIS in the first place as well, right? Whether yeah. you know, the West attacking countries and destabilising them gives rise to these groups, right? Mm. Yeah. But I just, hmm. yeah, it's, and, and there's so many layers to this, and I think that's why we've done, you know, so many stories on this and why it's such an interesting issue. Hmm. Um, Capital gains? Yeah. Should we have a look? Let's Check this segue. out. Farmers in Otago today weighing in on the proposed capital gains tax. Should I wish to retire or for other farmers... Um, who wish to sell up and move on, it could certainly have a big impact in the future. Having worked my way up to where I'm at by trading a few properties and working hard and making short-term sacrifice, it would be very disappointing to find that the government then takes a third of it when I sell it. And, listening to National, warn a suite of new taxes could be heading their way. So this is the tax working group that Michael Cullen led, and remember he's the one used to be the finance minister that hates farmers. National's warning that a typical sheep and beef or dairy farmer could have a $600,000 bill to pay if they sold their farm 10 years after a capital gains tax is introduced. And that assumes the property went up in value by more than $1.8 million. A farm's going to go up, yeah, as they put on the table, $1.8 million over the sort of next, next 10 years, $180,000 a year. Now that's more than double the average sort of family income and that's untapped money. So there's a big strong fairness argument that you know, people should be paying tax on that capital gains. And the government's urging caution. Well, I wouldn't trust any figures that the National Party put together. If you have a look at what we've had to tidy up after nine years of their government, uh, I wouldn't trust any figures that the National Party use. It's a raid on regional New Zealand. With the government's decision on which tax recommendations to adopt still months away, National will be looking to have plenty more meetings like this. Yeah, look, pretty interesting um, little story, that one, I thought. Um, you know, with, with National, sort of so much of the focus has been on the capital gains tax, whereas 
as we saw at the farm there, you know, um, the tax working group made up a whole host of recommendations uh, around the government looking at other taxes, a lot of which would be aimed at farmers, uh, bringing agriculture into the ETS, uh, water pollution, fertiliser taxes and environmental footprint tax. And hey, you can have great arguments for all of these, you know, in terms of uh, reducing pollution, helping, uh, you know, farmers pay to actually clean up the mess that they're, that they're creating, uh, stopping the public having to subsidise, you know, their emissions and stuff like that. But I think with, you know, the whole host of them coming at you at once and the government not saying which what's coming in and what's coming out, it's going to be really interesting sort of um, another month at least you know with the government still make up its mind what it's going to do quite interested to see that um, reaction from the farming community and I think that's the biggest thing that these stories have highlighted this week so we had um, last week the big ta- or two weeks ago was it now the t- big tax working group report right and then the government giving itself this whole month for us and and opposition parties to say, okay, well, if this happens, this will be the consequence. If if this happens, this will be the consequence. What a nightmare. They can't just come out and say, no, definitely not, no, definitely not, here's what we're doing. And I just wonder how frustrating it must be for them. Obviously, they have to give themselves time because they have to negotiate with New Zealand First and the Greens, but they must be standing there going, we've got to do this early. They said April. They must be like, okay, 1st of April comes around. We're going to try and do this because this momentum and this talk around it surely must be damaging and frustrating for them. But also, yes, but then I think also by giving themselves some time, they're going to need that time. Even if they come out tomorrow and say, yes, we're going to go with this, yes, we're going to go with that, there'll be questions thereafter that they still won't be able to answer. Like, they're not going to be able to answer a lot of the the, the sort of um, details uh, around this, which is why Sir Michael Cullen sort of suggested that they get that international expert advice in and that they get all of the all of the documents prepared before the next election. So even if they come out in April uh, with decisions, they're not going to have, you know, the sort of insight and the detail to go too far uh, further down the track in terms of being able to answer the questions that everyone's going to have. I think this issue is going to sort of just plague them um, probably until uh, the election um, but obviously as we know it, it's, it's it's a big call to make and, it, and it's going to take some sort of um, bold and courageous uh, MPs to sort of uh, drive it which is why they didn't sort of tackle it in the time of Sir Michael Cullen um, so they just need to basically hold their ground I think Labour I mean yes uh, they are under fire from you know the Nats they're going hard um, and it's easy uh, sort of bait here in terms of you know just getting out some hits on, on them on this but um, it's a crucial issue uh, and they're just going to have to like suck it up and, and stay strong. <laughs> and now whatever they announce won't be as bad as all of this so we're, you know well, unless they bring it all in. Unless they bring yeah. it all in but well. let's be honest they're probably not going to and so everyone will go oh okay well that's not as bad as what we thought it was would be you know so there's that side of it as yeah, well. Yeah but, but I, ho- I hope they don't sort of wet water it down too much and, and get too scared and, and, and you know too frightened about the political fallout that they sort Grant of City was brave. Hey? Some, yeah I mean you know. I'm pretty brave. That would be disappointing. It, it is interesting I think some of the language around mm. the capital gains tax and the, the other taxes as well like like before, just just you you're saying, you know, it's not going to be maybe as bad as we think it is, and yet you can argue bringing in, you know, tax taxes about fairness, not about about badness, right? And I remember hearing Amy Adams saying, oh, well, we shouldn't have, um, when she was questioned on Radio New Zealand, we shouldn't have capital gains tax. You know, it's punishing uh, punishing New Zealanders, right? If you brought in this tax, and it's like, well, it's not really punishment, right? You know, a paper boy goes out there and works, and he gets taxed on every dollar he earns. 
he's not being punished he's paying his fair share of tax so why shouldn't other income right and in the track that we just played uh, we, we had a couple of little grabs there from a couple of farmers who were at the meeting that Nathan Guy um, held down in Otago with um, Hamish Walker as well um, and, and they said a couple of other things that didn't make the track but it was quite interesting and the Federated Farmers farmer that we saw he had the cap on back, just back in that track there he, he went on to say oh you know Farmers don't farm for annual returns, right? They run a they run a pretty tight operation, and and, and you really you're sacrificing short term gain. So at the end, you get a pot of gold, right? When you when you sell your farm at the end, but that's kind of like that's kind of the whole point of the capital gains tax is that they're running the business not to file annual returns, you know, and and, and make lots of profit, and then at the end they get the big untaxed pot of gold, right? So that's kind of part of the argument. And the other farmer we also asked. Um, you know, some at the moment some income is tax, some isn't. Is that fair? And he kind of hummed and he hard and he said, "Oh, I'm going to get in trouble with the National Party if I answer that one." Um, <laughs> so it was sort of interesting. Why one, did that not make the story? It, oh, it, no, made, it, it made the next story. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it made the it made the following <laughs> day's story. Yeah, but yeah, just kind of interesting, really interesting issues that we're we're having to grapple with here. Yeah, yeah. and so I guess it's about sort of uh, is the the criticism uh, towards the government should it be more that they're not taking back the narrative on this issue that they're not sort of owning it that they're allowing well, they, the narrative to be so sort of you know it's that, that whole scaremongering and and sort of you know the the fearmongering side of things that that that's the failure of the government that they haven't been able to get on top of that. But they and can't. Because because they can't tell anyone what they're going to do. Michael Cullen's giving yeah, a nudge. Yeah, so that's, that's why they had to keep Michael Cullen on at a thousand bucks. I don't know bucks. that they can't. You know, I okay. just think if you can't, if you can't, you know, you've got a report here by a bunch of experts who have actually made these recommendations. They're not coming from your own government. I mean, I think that if you can't sort of mm. stand beside that sort of report and defend it, then that is a failure of your government. The other thing is we saw that in the House this week with the Prime Minister. I mean, Simon Bridges just on two days, I think, two consecutive days, he just got up on, on the Prime Minister uh, in, in question time on this particular issue. And that's pretty much the first time that we've sort of really seen him uh, so blatantly sort of take it to her and come out, come out on top. So that was interesting. Yeah, she uh, she struggled with a few of those questions, I think, um, and on that capital gains. It, she just looked uncomfortable and... And kind of wouldn't give straight answers No, I had to kind of go around. And, yeah, and yeah. we don't see that from her that often you know she's quite she's pretty slick um mm. most of the time and, and good at deflecting yeah yeah but i imagine there'll be a um another month's stories of on this yeah uh, this coming along as we sort of dig into yeah. different issues yeah anyway let's have a look at our last track for the day this is on the students threatened climate strike next week and i've been looking forward to discussing this all week with you so we'll have a look at it first Kiwi secondary students preparing to skip school in a protest over climate change. It's not ideal, but like, I also don't want to have to deal with the overwhelming repercussions of climate change. The movement's a global one. Irritating politicians accused of not doing enough. I'll tell you what we're also committed to. Kids should go to school. My lords, I do not accept that taking time off school in the middle of term is, is useful for children. Sentiments echoed here by national MPs. Their little protest is not going to help the world one bit. It does feel like a little bit of a political stunt um, to be doing this in school time. I think this starts to look like a bit of a prank if it's during school hours. Some party leaders questioning the need for the strike. What I'd like to think is that 
in New Zealand, um, there's less cause for protest. We're certainly trying to do our bit. In a couple of chants um, uh, as they march along, um, and maybe McDonald's or something afterwards, do you know what? I, I don't know if they'd learn a lot from that. Oh, well, uh, we pay a lot of money for people to get educated. Uh, attending school is compulsory in this country. The Education Ministry says the curriculum encourages students to be aware of social issues such as climate change. And it says it's up to individual school boards to determine whether students who strike next week are wagging. Some students, though, prepared to take that risk. I think it's pretty good, you know, us youth fighting for stuff that's going to impact us in the future. It's our lives, it's literally our future. And they do have the support of some MPs. They are making a call asking politicians to be accountable for actions for climate change. These kids are smart, we are dealing with their future. Um, you know, I think it's pretty organised. I, I have no problem with it. You'd be happy with your daughters skipping school? Absolutely. To take action or stay in class. Students around the country are deciding where they'll stand. Yeah, so what a bunch of big, fat, stinking hypocrites. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But you look at, you know, Nikki Kay going on about it being a political stunt, Judith Collins saying that it's not going to make any difference. Um, you had Todd Muller there, you know, saying, oh, this is a bit of a prank. Yeah, this, these are the, this is the National Party that a few weeks ago its MPs wagged a select committee the first opportunity they possibly got, and they ran around Parliament all day skiting about it. And they're telling the, the you know the students of New Zealand, "I oh, don't stand up for something that's really important. You know, don't take a day off school here." I mean, it's, it's outrageous. The other thing I think Lovely. is really interesting, and and Benedict needs to calm down a tiny, tiny <laughs> bit. But I reckon protesting teaches kids a lot too. So exactly. I reckon the argument, you know, protest is a fundamental part of our uh, society, whether you do it or not. The ability to be allowed to do it is, is something that's really special in New Zealand and we're lucky. Um, a kid going along to a protest making a banner like we saw, that you know, them painting and and um, really getting into something and, and feeling like they can make a difference, I think that teaches kids something. If kids are just taking the day off school and not really going to a protest, of course that's not great. But I think if they're actually going and doing it, I think that will teach them way more life lessons that an individual can make a difference, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, it was yeah. Inter interesting Simon Bridges. Um, so he, he, he was a bit more sort of detailed. So he said, hey, look, there's going to be a core group of children that are incredibly passionate about climate change. And he didn't have too much of an issue with these you know, these students, but he thought it was going to balloon up into a much bigger issue. Um, you know, he made comments like he didn't think they were going to learn that much. They're probably just going to go along and have a McDonald's and have it, you know, afterwards and chant, but not going to learn too much, stay in school. Um, and then the Prime Minister as well saying, oh, you know, I would have hoped that in New Zealand there wasn't such a need to, to protest about climate change, um, you know, because we do our fair bit. But, I mean, come on, climate change is just... That was disappointing. I mean... Climate change isn't just a New Zealand issue, right? The, the problem is that we're heating up the planet so fast you know, that it's a, an international dilemma, right? And, and so to suggest that, you know, children here shouldn't stand up, um, you know, and try and call for more political action on it, I thought, yeah, pretty woeful. Yeah, I, I, when I said that was disappointing, I was, I was referencing the Prime Minister's comment because she's the one who went out and told everyone, including all of the students across the country, that, you know, climate change is our generation's or her generation's nuclear-free moment. And for her not to come out and just sort of say, actually, guys, yes, get out there, stand up for something that you believe in, feel what if, and I know she's the Prime Minister and she can't really 
go all the way back. I mean, come on, is this the nuclear-free moment or is it not? I mean, I absolutely support the idea of um, sort of going on, along. And it's only one day. It's not like they're taking off a whole week. I mean, we had the Black Caps set to play Bangladesh down here in Wellington today, and I, I bet there would have been a number of adults bunking work today just to go down and <laughs> sit down there. Yeah, yeah. And That's what right. cause would that be for people? All right, hypocrites. Yeah. I agree with Benedict. Um, one thing I just <laughs> want to take note of when I just was walking along Lambton Quay just to come here, it is pouring with rain um, in Wellington today, like flooded footpaths. Climate yada, yada, change. Yada. <laughs> that wasn't my point, but interesting. <laughs> and outside the Supreme Court, there's, a, there's probably um, a dozen protesters standing there with banners. And I just thought, good on you today. It is an atrocious, appalling day and you are yelling with a megaphone and holding up signs and protesting and and, and it's about transparency and, and wanting to hold um, the justice system to account. But I just think that, that that's what kind of, and the fact that they can do that, yes there are a few security guards but they're not being moved on by police, there's no violence, there's no um, people throwing bricks at each other. I think that's cool that people can go and do that and and power to them for being that committed on a horrific day like today. Yeah, I think another another thing I'd be thinking of if I was a school student weighing up whether or not I should um, take the day off and protest, you know, you guys go to school five days a week, politicians, parliament sits three days a week. How often do um, Simon Bridges and uh, Jacinda Ardern turn up to parliament each week? Twice a week. So ev- every week, pet peeve. every week they miss a, th- a third of sitting days here at parliament. <laughs> they decide to go off and do other things. So uh, fill your boots, kids. <laughs> Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, anything? and that wraps it up very yeah. nicely. Okay. I think. Yeah, hey, it's good. been great to have you with us, guys. This was Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, um, and it's going to be coming out tonight f- on uh, Friday. And uh, you can check it out on the One News Facebook page and also on your favourite podcasting app. See you guys. <laughs>